Listening to the People You Should Know podcast with your host, Bill Coon. Oh, yeah, it's that time of the week, ladies and gentlemen. People You Should Know podcast, episode five, season one. That incredibly masculine voice you just heard was Dave Calloway. He's the man. Thank you so much, Dave. So, confession <laughs> the podcast, as we all know, is pretty brand new and you may not know this but the plan is for season one is to have this season go about 20 episodes deep plus or minus two maybe 18 maybe 22 I don't know we'll see but I have some really cool people lined up I've said it a bunch of times it's true and with that many guests 18 to 20 to two of them clearly Somebody, one of them had to be the first person I interviewed. It's just by nature. It just somebody had to be the first one. I'm I was new to this whole podcast game. I still kind of am in a way. And I was testing out the equipment and something happened. For some reason, the first person who I interviewed, the guinea pig, happened to be this person's interview today, Natalie Hayden. And her interview volume or the sound quality, I should say, was not as good as everyone else's. It, it, it just wasn't. And unfortunately, I had to play some tricks with the audio. I had to use a bit of magic, run it through several different programs, all in an attempt to make it sound awesome. See, what happened was, and <laughs> I still really have no idea what happened, but basically her audio sounded very soft, very faint, sounded like it was really, really recorded on a phone, like it had an electrical sound to it, some kind of odd quality to her vocals. That part, I'm not Bill Gates, I'm not Steve Jobs, RIP. I could not fix that part. But what I could fix was the sound quality in terms of her audio and her volume level. But that came with a bit of a bit of a hitch in the plan. You see, it increased the volume of everything else. So there's areas where maybe I'm moving a piece of paper gently across the table because I was I was done with a note that I wanted to make sure I talked about, or I sniffled, or <laughs> Natalie sniffled, or some kind of thing happened. Maybe she picked up a glass off the table. Whatever it was, it picked it up. So you're going to hear all of that today. <laughs> But you're going to hear more than just those sounds. You're going to hear a fantastic story from a fantastic person, someone who has gone through a lot with a condition that is, as she puts it, invisible. An invisible condition called Crohn's disease. Natalie has been battling this disease for quite some time now, since 2005. She got this way back when she was in college, but again, she tells the story better than I will. So I'll let her tell her own story. It's her story to tell, to share. But before I get into that, I have to say big thank you to everybody who went on and signed up for the VIP list to try to get in to see some of the shows. I was very flattered by the feedback and by the interest from those particular areas that I had listed for you guys, Chicago, Miami, uh, Michigan. 
And I just want you to know, I, I have a couple more coming up. So stay tuned sometime in the next couple podcasts. I will drop a couple more cities that I'll be in sometime between October and April or May of next year. And hopefully you guys can come out to those if it's in your area. But like I said, I will drop those names soon, those cities soon. I can't do it yet because I have to go through a, a bit of a protocol on my end and making sure that A, they're cool with it. B, <laughs> I'm, I'm able to get some seats for you guys and really put it together. And, and, and finally, that the venue is booked. It's, it's usually half the holdback is a lot of places pick their speakers before they pick their venues. And that is the holdup on at least a couple of them. So I will have those for you in the coming podcast. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to throw it to the interview right now. I'll stop babbling. I'll stop rambling. You may have to adjust your volume a little bit. People with earphones on, get ready. Hopefully it sounds good. This is the wonderful first ever interview I recorded <laughs> with Natalie Hayden, Crohn's disease. Check it out. Joining me today on People You Should Know podcast is Natalie Hayden. Natalie Hayden is a Crohn's disease advocate and she's a blogger. On her blog, Lights, Camera, Crohn's, and Unobstructed View, Natalie Hayden, thank you ever so much for coming on the podcast today. And how are you on this fine day? Great, how are you doing? I am absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for asking. Now, I know you have an infant at home who could wake up at any given moment. <laughs> there he is, right there. I'm yeah, with my foot. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, you know what? Let's just get right into it then. He might start crying. Who knows? I, I don't know. I don't understand babies and how they work. So you, as far as your Crohn's goes, you have been battling with Crohn's since 2005, correct? Correct. I was diagnosed July 23rd, 2005, so we're coming up on the 12th anniversary. All right, so then 12 years. So then take the listeners back so they can really understand Crohn's. What was going on in your life at that time? Where were you at? What were you feeling like? How did you know to go and know, get medical help and advice to find out that you have Crohn's? Mm -hmm. Man, I could go on and on about this. Uh, that was one of the most difficult moments and times of my life. I had just graduated from Marquette University in May, and I was still feeling healthy then. And then probably a week or two after college graduation, I was 21 years old, I started having ridiculous fevers. We're talking 102 to 104 degrees. Um, I didn't know what was going on with me. I would get the chills from the fevers, and then I was getting sick every time I was eating. So it got to the point where all I could really tolerate was Gatorade and Popsicle. And I remember being in my bedroom, and my parents live in a two-story home, and I would have to text my brothers and my parents to bring me Popsicles and Gatorade. I didn't even have the energy to go up or down 13 stairs. So this went on for about two months, and we really had no idea what was going on. We went to my general internist, and she was thinking it was my gallbladder or my appendix, and I was getting these ultrasounds, and everything was coming back perfect, and there were no answers. And finally, on July 23rd, it got to the point where my mom came home from work, and I'm one of those people, when I wake up in the morning, I'm showered right away. I don't really lounge around in pajamas or anything, and it was about 5 p.m., and I had not gotten off the couch, was still in pajamas, and she looked at me and she said, we're going to the hospital right now. So I didn't fight her too much because I just wanted answers. So we got to the ER, and they did a, a CAT scan on my abdomen, and they said, you are malnourished, 
you're dehydrated and we believe you have Crohn's disease and you are getting admitted right now. And I had lost a lot of weight. I was in the teens, 100 some, probably 118 pounds. I'm almost 5'6". And I hadn't eaten much in weeks. And I was hospitalized then for almost a week. And it was very, very scary. I went from being a perfectly healthy person to finding out at age 21 I had a chronic illness, meaning I had an illness that has no cure, that I was going to be battling for the rest of my life. And during that time in the hospital, I had to undergo my first colonoscopy. And, you know, it's funny to me because people in their 50s and 60s are so scared about getting colonoscopies and they have no digestive problems, so they're taking the prep and it's making them stay on the toilet, but they don't have any underlying issues. And I always think back to that colonoscopy because I was hospitalized for extreme inflammation in my intestines. And to do that on top of what I was already going through, I remember rocking on the toilet in the bathroom of the hospital with my iPod on, just in extreme pain and wondering how I was going to get through this. And, you know, it was really terrifying at the time. And it, it feels like it's your entire identity when you receive the diagnosis. And I always tell people that it's the most difficult part of it. And as the years go on, you know, I'm coming up on 12 years, it has actually made me stronger and made me a better person. And, of course, I wish I didn't have Crohn's, but at the same time, I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't have it. Right, and that's essentially how a lot of people feel who have been through different conditions, different type of battles. I, I know me personally, with my whole transplantation and everything I've received in my life, I, I feel the exact same way about that. So let's take this back a notch. You mentioned you're in college Marquette University, I believe. So you're at Marquette, and you get this diagnosis. You're at the hospital. In that moment in your head, how did you picture the rest of your life, and how has your actual life differed from what you first pictured in that moment of fear? I mean, I really thought of it as a scarlet letter that nobody would really want to you know, associate with me at the time. Um, I felt like that was all of who I was, you know. I was trying to be a TV news reporter, so I had 200 tapes at the time, VHS tapes, around the country for jobs, and I thought to myself, how am I going to handle this? How am I going to take 25 pills a day, look the way I do, because when you're on steroids, you get a moon face, it really affects your appearance. Mm -hmm. um, that was very scary for me about trying to find a job, and I mean, the timing was impeccable because I had just graduated college, Luckily, my dad had put me on a private insurance already before I had a pre-existing condition. Nice, that's I huge. I didn't have a job to worry about. So I was able to really focus on my health from that July time period until I received my first TV job in October. So I was home. I didn't have any other stresses. I could just focus on family and friends, stay around the people close to me because the support network is so important, and I could get back on my feet. And, you know, it took a long time to feel comfortable and at the time, they told me, you know, you're not going to be able to eat fresh food or vegetables. I didn't have a salad for eight months. I still to this day remember the first time I had salad out to eat with my family. It was March of 2006, and I was a TV uh, producer at the time. And I was crying in the restaurant because it was such a impactful moment for me to be able to eat lettuce. I mean, <laughs> you know, right. it's, it's a relief, too, because... So many people, I was lucky it only took me two months to get a diagnosis. Some people go years without an answer, and it's hard to diagnose, and it takes time. Um, some people are luckier than others as far as getting the answer sooner, but um, I never had it run in our family. You know, there's no hereditary impact of it. We don't know why I got it. It's crazy, but my college roommate, who I lived with for four years, 
she was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is also an inflammatory bowel disease, a couple years after I was diagnosed with Crohn's. And it makes you wonder, because it is an environmental condition as well. There's no rhyme or reason, but that's pretty much the two reasons why it either runs in your family or there's an environmental component. So for me, I'm thinking it's environmental since uh, me and one of my best friends, we both we both unfortunately came down with IBD. In that Milwaukee, Marquette area. Yeah. Wow, that's kind of crazy. Very interesting. Well, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories. So moving on. Right now, Crohn's is not curable. There is no cure for Crohn's, but there are medications to make it manageable and make it so that you can live your life at least with the condition. So walk people through day in the life, Crohn's Management 101. What do you do on a daily basis to take care of yourself? It's, you know, from the beginning when you're first diagnosed to 12 years out, it's definitely a process and a journey. From the beginning, when you first go home from the hospital, you are on so much medication. I, people complain about being on prednisone for a burst of, you know, 20 milligrams. Yeah. I left the hospital on 60 milligrams. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know what that means, uh, that's basically hell. <laughs> um, yeah, I was on 20, to put this in perspective, 20 five milligrams post-transplant and 25 sucked so that was a lot that's a lot i found that for three months to the point where when i would eat cereal and i would have to take a prevacid before i could eat because the acid reflux from all the steroids mm-hmm. would only be able to eat cheerios and my hands would shake with the spoon and it would hit the bowl that's how shaky and sick i looked and felt and that was only, you know, two of the pills. And there was a bunch of other ones that I had to take to start getting everything regulated. Apical, Flagyl, Cipro, right. a bunch of different things. And my mom would lay them out on a paper towel in the in the kitchen. And she would, she's an, a saint, she's a nurse. Mm-hmm. She would come to my bedroom because I couldn't eat. You know, I'd have to turn everything out. So she'd bring me the predecessor in my bedroom. I would take that and try to get ready in the morning so that I could take my steroid and then everything was timed throughout the day and some of these are horse pills you know it's not easy from being completely healthy on no medicine at all to taking that much medication and I was on that medication for three to four months and then finally I was I was down to six pills a day for three years I took six days of call and that's great it's just basically a strong anti-inflammatory unfortunately with IBD they're not allowed to take any ibuprofen so even if you sprain your ankle or have any inflammation in your body you can never or a bad headache you can never take uh, ibuprofen again because right. so many people just say oh i have a headache i'm just gonna pop an advil i'm like oh, i can't have that i can only have tylenol which isn't very strong so you just kind of need to wait out the storm then yeah you really do so what are you taking right now to manage it I made the decision to start taking an injection in my thigh, or you can do it in your stomach, but I've always done it in my thigh. And I do those ever since 2008. I've done them every other Monday um, of my life. And they're extremely painful shots, but they manage the disease. And sometimes you got to break out the big guns. And for the illness uh, severity that I have, a biologic is necessary. So why not one of the infusion drugs instead of the shots if the shots are so painful? to go into a hospital or a doctor's office and being a public figure at the time I was you know what 26 27 years old I did not want to be sitting around other people because I did not tell anybody about my disease mm-hmm. I didn't want pity or sympathy so I said hey this is great I can sit on my family room couch in my apartment and I can do the shop by myself nobody has to see the del- delivery to my front door so that's what I went with and it's been great for me it's been a great drug I always tell people, I highly recommend it. It's been 
it's, it's emotional because you have to inflict pain on yourself. It's not just your typical shot that you get at the doctor's office. I got a flu shot for the first time this year because I was pregnant. And let me tell you folks, if you think that hurts, you got another thing coming. <laughs> and I'm like, did you do the shot? And a smear injection, it's not the needle that hurts. It's, it's like an EpiPen, but it's the medication going into your leg. The afterburn. Literally, yeah, it feels like fire burning through your leg for 10 seconds. And you have to hold it in. What do you do to get yourself through that moment of burn during the injection? I look into my little newborn son's eyes. I have my husband stand in front of me, and I know I have to stay healthy for him. Aww. So I give myself the shot um, on my family room couch every other Monday. And, you know, it's been a good management drug for me. Mm-hmm. And I did my medication throughout my entire pregnancy, which some doctors have different opinions on that, which is also scary. And to cut you off right there, that's actually something I wanted to talk about because after reading your blog, following it for a bit, I know that that was a bit of a plot line in recent months, your pregnancy and whether or not you should be taking the injections while pregnant and will the injections cause any damage or harm to the baby, all these unknowns. So so were there any fears, any hesitations about taking the injections while pregnant? Yes, I was, I was having a lot of fears. Um, luckily for me, the key with Crohn's is to get pregnant when you're in a remission state because oftentimes if you get pregnant when you're in an active state, that is the way it carries on through all nine months of pregnancy. So if you can imagine like a flare-up mm-hmm. a majority of the year, that would be a living nightmare. Plus, trying to go to the hospital and get the IV narcotics and medications you need to alleviate the pain and inflammation is a whole different ballgame when you have a baby inside of you. Um, so they can only give you Salumedrol, which is just prednisone, um, to help with that. They can't give you everything else, like the Zolotid and the Zofran. They try to stay away from that. And so it's, it's scary. And did the doctors ever say there would be a risk to the baby? Were there any warnings? Yeah, for um, anybody that's pregnant with IBD, and it's completely normal for people to get pregnant, I always hear that question from people, you know, am I able to be a mom someday? Yes, you are. It's just a matter of maintaining and navigating that carefully with a high-risk OB, a regular OB doctor, and your GI doctor. You have a team of doctors, unlike many pregnancies. And I actually enjoy being high-risk because I got to do an ultrasound every 30 days and see my baby as he grew instead of just doing two. Mm-hmm. It was a treat in and of itself, but I will say it was scary just wondering, you know, is my disease going to act up? They say in the second trimester, that's usually when it acts up if it's going to, and that's the most important time when the baby really needs to keep growing. Um, lucky for me, I was in remission the entire time. I felt like I didn't even have Crohn's disease. It was wow. remarkable. It made me want to be pregnant and have 20 kids. <laughs> yeah, start an Amish family, start a whole community. Why yeah, I've <laughs> for so long that I would be at work and I'd have a stressful moment going on, and I think my stomach should be hurting me right now. And I feel a little twinge of pain, but nothing compared to what it normally was. But he's healthy, everything's good with him? came out perfectly healthy, and I delivered up 39 weeks and four days, so it wasn't preterm like any of those concerns, and it's been smooth sailing. Of course, every time I look at him or if he's having trouble going to the bathroom now, I think to myself, I just pray that he, too, does not have Crohn's in the future. And I'm happy to hear that he's doing well. I'm, I'm glad he's fine, happy, healthy. He, he looks incredibly healthy, at least, on your blog. And speaking of your blog, for anyone out there right now who – maybe Googling Lights, Camera, Crohn's, or you got the email with the link to her blog post, you surely saw another person on the blog who is one of the characters, and Natalie, one of the other characters in your life, of course, who you live with. Another guy in your life is a guy by the name of Bobby, and Bobby is your husband, and anybody looking at the website, it's 
they're both bald, him and the baby, <laughs> but it's the adult bald person. And my question for you in regards to him is the mere fact that I know a lot of people who have conditions, regardless of Crohn's or whatever the case may be, anything really. If you're living a lifestyle in which medication is a part of it, you may sometimes feel like you're different from everyone else. And people who find themselves in that situation, sometimes when it comes to relationships and finding partners, they struggle to let people in or struggle to find somebody who will be there for them and be supportive. And given that you've been battling with this since 2005, you've probably dated guys who were different than him. So in your experience, what traits should people look for in a partner when trying to find somebody who will be supportive of them and be there for the long haul? Oh my goodness. This is a big subject and it it brings me a lot of heartache for people because I think it's really scary for a lot of young people that are diagnosed with Crohn's and they think nobody's ever going to love me, nobody's going to want to put up with this, because you have this guilt thinking, I need a constant caretaker. Even on the good days, there are some bad moments. Yesterday, for instance, out of nowhere, I started feeling nauseous. I got to lay on the couch. I mean, this is like the daily occurrence. It's not something where, oh, once in a blue moon, I might have to go to the hospital. It's a daily situation. You have to deal with it. It takes a special person. Um, for instance, when I was first diagnosed, age 21, I was rolled out of the hospital in a wheelchair, and my boyfriend at the time broke up with me. How do you think that made me feel? The first week of being diagnosed, I thought, oh, great. This is how this is going to be for the rest of the So what was his first name? Damn it. <laughs> well, shout out to that guy. Another guy, for instance, in Wausau, you know, I, I was single, and I was going on a date. I was really excited. And then all of a sudden, what always shocked me is with my flare-ups is they come out of nowhere. That morning I anchored the news, felt perfect, no issues whatsoever. All of a sudden that afternoon I started feeling those terrible numbing pains. I started throwing up. I knew I probably had a bowel obstruction or something going on. And I texted him and I said, you know, unfortunately I, I can't go out tonight. I, I'm really sick and I have Crohn's and I can go to the hospital. And he made fun of me and said that it was a great excuse to get out of the date. And I just thought to myself, Whoa. Um, but I will say it's a great test of character and I've been blessed with wonderful people in my life you know I also dated guys that were extremely great caretakers mm-hmm. along the way um, but my husband takes the cake Bobby is my rock um, when I was six months into the relationship with him we were long distance I got a bowel obstruction while visiting him and he had to just go full force we didn't even know what hospital to go to and every single time I've been hospitalized the poor guys had to go to the hospital with me quite a bit um, he never leaves my stuff. He doesn't even go home to shower. He sleeps on the cot in the room. It is unbelievable. When I'm NPO, meaning I can't even drink water. He rubs gums. He rubs my gums with, you know, um, the little pads. That I don't even know, like a wand, a little pad, so I can get some, like, moisture in my mouth. He does everything for me. Um, counts down from 300 to get me to fall asleep when I'm in pain um, in the hospital. The guy does everything, and... I knew right away, and he even says to this day that that six-month time period when I was in the hospital, he would actually go in his car and cry, um, and he thought to himself, I don't want anybody else to take care of Natalie. I always want to take care of her. So I knew going in with this pregnancy that it was going to be a walk in the park for us because we'd been through the hospital stuff together so many times, the sickness and not feeling well. And when it came time for the C-section and I had him holding my hand, it was like a breeze. I mean, I was laughing. We were talking about brownies. 
the surgeon actually stopped and she's like, are you guys talking about brownies right now? And we're like, yes, we are. She's just great. You know, I to this day, even last night, if I'm on the couch and I need my medicine, he literally, it's like he's a nurse. He brings me all my pills and the pill cap and brings me water and hands me each one and makes sure I get my calcium tabs enough times a day. And um, he's always watching out for me. And that's not an easy thing to do. And I wish that I could repay him in some way. But there's so many people out there that have that heart and have that compassion. Just know in your heart that if a guy or a girl is not willing to date you or be with you or show you that love in your lowest moment, they're not worth it. Right. No, and I, I get it. You know, when you go through adversity and you go through an illness, people tend to come out of the woodwork and some people fade into the back. And a scare or an emergency room, it sort of filters people out in a way. Great way of putting it. So there you have it, ladies. Swipe right on the guys who are willing to rub water on your gums. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Bobby doesn't have any brothers. <laughs> so, yeah, so find the Bobbies of the world, mate with them, and the whole world will then be bald. <laughs> but anyway, tell us about the blog, lightscamacrones.com. Tell us about it. Sell it. Go. So I'm really excited about the blog. It's coming up on its one-year anniversary here. And, you know, like I said, for the first decade of the illness, it wasn't something I wanted to share publicly when I was in the news because I thought to myself, people are just going to say, oh, the news anchor with the Crohn's or she's wanting attention or she wants sympathy, and that's not what I wanted. And I didn't want to be labeled that. So when I left the news business in November 2014, I thought to myself, you know, now is the time. And little did I know that 2015 was going to be the worst year of my crown possible. I had three bowel obstructions, and I had 18 inches of my intestine removed. And I thought to myself, you know, I love to write. I love journalism. I can be a voice for the silent illness that 5 million people across the world are facing and silence because many people just struggle with even sharing what they're going through. So I thought to myself, right after my surgery, I thought, okay, next summer on the 11th anniversary, I am going to start a blog called LightsCamerCrones.com. And what it means, LightsCamerCrones, I thought that's perfect for TV. And then the other part of the title is An Unobstructed View. And this has multiple meanings because I've always said bowel obstructions. That's my main issue. So much fun. Uh, <laughs> unobstructed View also shows transparency and honesty, a clear look, something that's not blocked, something that people can really hear my voice. And the blog has been great for me. It's been cathartic for me to write. I share fresh content every Monday morning from topics not just on Crohn's, but on chronic illness in particular, inspirational messages. I'm not one of those people, and there's a lot of blogs out there, unfortunately, that are extremely negative. People that just post themselves in hospital beds and make it sound like, woe is me, life is terrible. If you're going to have that attitude, that is how this disease is going to control you. Mm -hmm. If you want to be positive and say, yeah, I'm going to be honest about what it's really like, and that's what my articles are, they're honest, but they also have a positive feeling to each article. When you finish reading, you think, wow, she's tough. She's a badass. She gets it. Right. You don't get the feeling of, oh, poor Natalie, man, that must really be terrible. I didn't know she lived her life like this. I live life like it doesn't matter that I have Crohn's. If I lived life like I had Crohn's, I would miss out on so many social opportunities. I'd be on the couch, never showered. I, it would not be a life for me. So I use this blog as a way to reach out to people and show them that there is life after diagnosis. And it's been incredible. I've talked to people all over the world, mothers, daughters, kids, 
people you don't even, you've never met, of course, complete strangers. And it's built a network for me to have help, too, because it's not just I'm helping others. As soon as someone reaches out to me and we start that dialogue, mm-hmm. we become Facebook friends. We start texting. You know, it's crazy. You start this own personal network of people who get it because they live it each day. Well, on that note, Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I cannot thank you enough. I know the work you're doing. A lot of people are really connecting with it in the Crohn's community. I noticed a lot of comments on there, a lot of shares, and people really seem to be connecting with what you're doing. Thank you. So that's it. That's the podcast. And I completely forgot to mention beforehand that I had a bit of a head cold while that interview was happening. So I apologize for my heavy breathing. (laughs) I was like, like several times into the microphone there. And I'm sure that was not, if it wasn't enjoyable for me to hear, it probably wasn't that enjoyable for you. But I hope through all that, you were able to get a lot from Natalie and that you enjoyed that, that interview. Next week's podcast, I'm joined by Stacy Skryzak. Stacy is representing her foundation, the Triple Heart Foundation. Now, that foundation itself, wonderful story. What they do, awesome. But the story behind that foundation, the story behind the story, if you will, is what the crux of that conversation is all about. And I'm not going to lie. If there is ever, so far up to this point on the podcast, a tearjerker episode, that's it. Her story and the way she tells it, the way she shares it, you guys are going to want to tune in. You're going to want to hear it. And you're definitely going to want to help her foundation out once you learn about her background and what she's, she's doing. So make sure you tune in next week. Speaking of next week, you guys know what's up. You guys know what's happening. It's a bit of a cadence now every week that you should, if you've been listening, you've caught on to. So what that means is on Monday, you'll be able to get a sneak peek of the episode. It will be on all of the social media, Twitter at PYSK podcast, Facebook, facebook.com slash the Bill Coon. If you are starting to feel left out and you wish you had all of these blogs and extra content sent to you to your mailbox every single Wednesday morning. It's really easy to, to rectify that. All you got to do is go to BillCoonSpeaks.com slash podcast. There's a green button. You can't miss it. Click it. Type in your name. Type in your email address. And voila. Boom. You will suddenly start getting all of this stuff sent to your inbox every single Wednesday morning. And of course, if you have a smartphone, which I, I don't know the numbers off of my head, but I would assume it's 90% plus. Uh, if, if you guys are listening to this and you have a smartphone, you can listen to this on your smartphone on the go. If you're an Android user, Google Play, check it out, search for it. If you have an iPhone, open up the podcast app. It's preloaded in there. It's there. Search People You Should Know Podcast and click subscribe. You'll start getting into your phone pretty easily. Speaking of which, tell your friends about it. If you like the podcast, if you like everything up to this point, by all means, tell everyone, share Go on iTunes, go on Google Play, write reviews of the podcast, give it a five-star in that way. In doing so, you will help other people, complete strangers around the globe, find the podcast. If you are sitting there thinking to yourself, hmm, why hasn't he done this topic yet? Easy. Go to BillCoonSpeaks.com slash podcast. Scroll all the way to the bottom. There is a form. Type in your information. Type in the idea, the suggestion, the guest, the, the person you want me to talk to. I'm all ears. I have a few more slots left for season one. And when I say few, I mean few. They might get moved to season two. But nonetheless, you'll be able to get them onto this podcast. I'll at least check them out 
I can guarantee that, I promise. But until next week, my friends, have a fantastic Wednesday, a great Thursday, an even better Friday, and a kick-ass weekend. I'm out. I'm out.